Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 45. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them, how'd they get in the classroom? What are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future? In this episode, I sit down with Brandon Boswell. Brandon is a science teacher at Cypress Bay High School in Weston, Florida. Brandon has taught a wide variety of science classes throughout his career, including AP Biology, Honors Chemistry, and Physics. Brandon is a very active advocate for student learning and is active in many professional development activities. At his school, Brandon has served as the coach of the Science Bowl team, Invent team, and BioBuilder Club. His PD participation has included working with the Center for Pre-Collegiate Education and Training at the University of Florida, where he developed curriculum modules on pathogens in 2018 and on biotechnology in 2011. In 2017, he also attended the NABT BSCS AP Biology Teacher Academy in Florida and the BioBuilder Summer Teacher Workshop. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you, Aaron. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is this is funny because we've been on calls for BioBuilder many times, but it's been like a a conference call of like forty, and it's like I kind of want to like go, "Hey, Brian, and how's it going?" But it's not really the the time or the <laughs> format to have that kind of side conversation. So uh, it's good to have a, a nice long form conversation here. Looking forward to it, definitely. Yeah, and I also appreciate this. You're meeting me on your spring break, and the, this is going to allow me to put this podcast out on my spring break. So uh, you're you're, sa- <laughs> you're saving you're saving me a little bit of the stress of going out on my spring break and knowing I've got an episode in the in the can, so to speak. <laughs> well, happy to help if, if, if however I can. That sounds great. All right, so uh, let's get to the first question. I like to ask everybody: um, How did you become a science teacher? What uh, what led you into the classroom? Well, um, I first. Uh, into the classroom was literally, I was just uh, at a meeting with one of my college uh, roommates who I went to the University of Miami with, and we were sitting there, and out of nowhere, his principal and some assistant principals came over to the table and just started talking to us. It sounded really, from speaking with them, it sounded like Cypress Bay was very much an unconventional uh, high school in terms of, uh, it seemed to be very student-friendly and not at all like what I had experienced when I was in high school. So on the basis of that, I happened at the end of the conversation to say, you know, if ever you need anybody, I'd be more than happy to apply. And uh, Scott, or sorry, Mr. Neely, our principal, then said, yeah, you know, go here's the here's the number, and uh, we'll contact you if we need anybody. And that's how I got into it. Um, I interviewed, and next thing I knew, I was teaching AP Biology. <laughs> um, before, sorry, I just no, it's funny. Like next thing you know, you're teaching AP Biology. So like, dive in deep. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it, I, I had been uh, working in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Miami School of Medicine in, in uh, with HIV patients, and I had essentially been interviewing them at the Special Immunology Clinic at Jackson Memorial. And to make a long story short, um, I was ready for a good portion of AP Biology, but there was a portion that I, I had to relearn, quite honestly, and I had to relearn it fairly quickly. Um, and it was a great situation that I was put into. I have a very supportive departmental head and very supportive other teachers. So, you know, it, it was it really was a good situation and I kind of fell into it quite happily to say the least. Yeah, it's fu- it, it's interesting to you talk about like what you were ready for and what you weren't ready for because that was back in the the old days where you taught 
the whole of Campbell or the whole of whatever bio book you happen to use as your as your resource, right? So that was the that was back in the the pre revision days. Yes, yes, it was. The pre revision days is a great idea you know, before the storm. Um, I mean, although I definitely am a hundred percent in favor of all the changes that they've made, and it's made me such a different teacher, and I think it's made the students such better, uh, so much more. Uh, kind of capable and so much more prepared for a career in science. But yeah, that was back when it was just a, a, a marathon race to try to get through everything. And uh, a good portion of it I knew, and there was also some that, geez, I, <laughs> I did not know. And I had to go back and relearn it. Um, a lot of the um, uh, taxonomy stuff I, I had not, I had forgotten, and I don't think I ever really learned the uh, all the fungus groups and all the fungus families and uh, <laughs> subphyla. But Needless to say, it was it's been a great experience, and I've had a lot of great students who really, you know, helped me along with, um, you know, kind of helping me through the process of if I need to do this, who can I contact, and great people at my school to help me do so as well. Yeah, you're mentioning like the different uh, <laughs> the, the different groups of fungi and stuff like that. I was wondering because um, when I think of South Florida, and you're not, you know, you're embedded pretty much in the Everglades, pretty much that the the epidemiology background you have, the molecular background, and the ecology stuff would have been easy, sort of, the, not to say that it was easy, but the easier stuff to connect with um, between your background and the setting. I, I think you're right. And, um, you know, my, my idol was kind of on the east uh, coast, meaning that I was, uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital was really, not necessarily right on the water, but pretty close to it. And uh, those patients and that population is a lot different than most of Miami, than most of Miami. Um, and it really did give me an interesting perspective and I uh, need to really understand a lot of what was taught to me in textbooks and put it into practice. And you're right, the ecology thing wasn't too hard to grasp because our school, Cypress Bay High School, is definitely on the edge of civilization. I mean, we're less than a mile away from uh, where they used to film. Well, we're less than a mile away from the Everglades that were probably couple hundred feet away from the Everglades crew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's definitely a great environment and one that we don't source enough uh, for, you know, students to visit and everything else uh, to interact with the Everglades because of the water requirements that we have in the Broward County Public Schools. Yeah. Uh, so you, uh, you've sort of led a little bit of the transition uh, by talking about the, the sort of change when I, when I brought up the, the old AP versus the new AP. And we got to get to know each other this past summer because I went down to Florida and we were both part of that NABT, BSCS, AP Biology Teacher Academy. I guess they've dropped the AP for this summer. Um, and now they're just calling it the NABT, BSCS Teacher Academy, which is good because um, I feel like a lot of this stuff isn't just for AP teachers. Um, but this is our first time to like sit down and catch up where it's been, gosh, how many months, you know, almost 10 months, nine months since we were at that workshop together. And I'm curious, like, how has this impacted your year, um, having gone through that last summer? Wow. It's interesting. You mentioned nine or 10 months because obviously you're right. And number two, it just doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Um, I I mean, you know, obviously it feels like it's been a long time since, but it, it just that it really is an interesting uh, time span duration to kind of con- to think about for a second. But um, certainly for me, the teacher academy was, in every sense of the word, transformative. Mm-hmm. I, I did not begin that thinking I was going to change so much as a teacher um, and so much in my instructional practice. 
but it really did. Um, you know, first and foremost, being around a group of people who were as passionate, if not more passionate than myself, about teaching, that was a big deal. Um, and it really kind of reinvigorated what I wanted to do. It kind of really re-inspired me to, to alter what I was teaching. Um, up until this past year, I was very lecture-based. And when I say lecture, I don't mean in a purely students listen the entire time. It was very conversational, but it was unidimensional. Mm -hmm. It was very much, this is what we're going to do today. This is what we're going to do tomorrow. It's what's <laughs> going to happen today after that. Yep. And so I found that, I found the uh, teacher academy really got me to realize that that kind of stale format, which I've used for quite some time and to great success um, and, and to great applause from students, is just not the best way to do it. And so I really, it really kind of changed my, my, my window, my, my, how I viewed teaching. And then number, and, and I really think that that was because of the teachers, you know, Chai, Robin, I mean, I, I can't, I can't even, you know, go through the individual contributions of each person because I've used so much of it <laughs> and yeah. I've adapted so much of it. And just like you said, I adapted it. I adapted a lot of this, not to AP, but well, I did a lot of it to AP Biology, but I was surprised at how much of it really was adapted for my Bio 1 Honors class, my high school biology class. Um, and it really was directly applicable for both. And uh, that was one thing which I have to say I went there for the AP Biology Teachers Academy, and I think it was for AP Biology, but you could kind of very, very easily, very, you know, low effort dial it down a little bit and it really works for those um for the high school biology kids so i certainly agree that they probably you know, the best decision for them was probably to drop the ap biology although i found it to be just wonderful and then on top of that um you know i think that one of the things and um i i don't know if i've ever told you this now that's been nine ten months out <laughs> but you really had an impact on me i know that all we really did was drive in and out together, but I was really impressed with how you push the envelope, at least as far as I was concerned, push the envelope on what AP biology is. I always considered AP biology to be somewhat formulaic, that there's a curriculum to be taught, we teach the curriculum, we review the curriculum, we are done. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, and I got from you that that was not how you approached it. You approached it with this very kind of wide-ranging, let's do let, let's go above and beyond the curriculum. And I had always gone a little bit above and beyond the curriculum, but I'd always been very hesitant to deviate, you know, only a little bit. And really when I heard what you, what you and your students were doing, I was kind of like, wait, I, I, I can do that. You know I mean? It might take me a little more effort, but, uh, but I can figure this out. You know, I can, I can do it. And I really kind of picked up that mantle and ran with it this year. And that's one of the things that I've been most proud of is how I've really gone past the AP curriculum. And, unsurprisingly, it was the best thing for the students because when you go past that curriculum, when you really kind of dive, deep dive into these concepts, these applications, that's when the learning really happens. And honestly, although certainly there are other things that, that you said that still stick with me, things like how am I going to take this back to the classroom? And I really, when I did NSTA this year, mm -hmm. every single thing was, was I need to just not just be here and enjoy it, but really how do I take it back? How do I implement this into the classroom? And it changes your entire experience as as an educator who's kind of, of you know kind of taking material back because everything I was doing I, w I would think that dual role not just what I like about it but what are students going to get out of it mm. and you know it was again constantly constantly in that in the, having that having that uh, speaker in the back of my mind saying 
How are you going to take this back to the classroom? How is this going to benefit your your students? And that really, you know, that was a great thing as well. So, you know, certainly I, I'd like to thank you for, for really making a difference in me as a teacher, but also that teacher academy was was pretty amazing in and of itself. Well, I, I would uh, say I got just as much, if not more, from, from you and all of our other colleagues in terms of that conversation. Um, I found it interesting when you were talking about, like, you know, what you got, what you, why we went there, um, because I went there as a fairly veteran teacher and you are, you have more years of teaching AP experience than I did, uh, going there. We were, I don't know if you remember, but they stood us up in a line, uh, from the least experienced AP teachers to the most experienced AP teachers. I don't, I think there was only like one person with more experience than you in that room. Um, and we were pretty close together (laughs) over on the side. Um, but it's, when you said the, the idea of like, you know, what you got out of it. I heard a little bit of a, it was much more than what you thought you were going to get out of it. And for me, I was going there because I kind of almost felt like I, I didn't really know if I was doing uh, the new AP curriculum, right? I guess that would be the best way of saying it. You know, like the AP changed and I was like, yeah, great. They cut all this content. Great. Let's just teach advanced biology because that's sort of how I always taught it. Um, I've always thought of it as a way of just having the kids do advanced science. And I was very much focused on like having labs that would extend and, you know, go beyond and do all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I did have some hesitancy about, um, you you framed what I do in a very um, positive light, but at times I feel like a, a little, uh, you know, kind of going rogue. We go off on these side tangents, and I was I wonder if I'm if I'm always serving my students well when we go down a side road. It's it's fun, it's entertaining, it's I think good science, but does it prepare students for you know the AP exam, which ultimately is why they signed up for the course? Um, and so when I went into that class, you know, or the workshop rather, uh, last summer, it was kind of looking almost to sort of re-anchor to, are we going down the right path? Um, how should I be thinking about curriculum? How do other people think about curriculum and that sort of thing? So, um, I don't know if that, if it, it's interesting. I think we went very different directions with it. Um, I, what, what were you going into it for? I mean, you had a ton of experience. What were you expecting to get out of that, that summer, um, before you went in? Yeah, well, I mean, not to sound too arrogant, but I mean, I feel like I know the AP biology curriculum. I've written for the test, um, and I've written questions for the test before. I don't know if they've ever been accepted, but <laughs> I have. Um, and so, you know, and I've certainly been a reader. So, I mean, I felt like I knew the curriculum. What I'm always looking for, is there a better way? And even though I was hesitant to go the better way, I, I think similar to you, I wanted to go there and see the experts and see what they were doing. And and I was resistant at first. I was very, no, no, lectures work well for me, or at least my way of doing lectures. But but they, they without a doubt, won me over. And, um, you know, for me, it really, I went into it with the perspective of, let's just see something better out there. I guess maybe I knew that, that maybe, you know, subconsciously, I knew there was something better. I knew I could do a better job, but um, no, I, I kind of went there with a let's see what the experts are doing, and certainly, you know, that was one of my things is that I looked up all their bios and everything, and I was just like, yep, that's where I'm going, and uh, I'm I'm actually in charge of the AP biology teachers at in Broward County. When I say in charge of, I mean we just kind of organize professional development for them. I don't want you to think that I'm like in charge of licensing them or something or testing yeah. them. Good people that they are. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I, I do feel that I, that I knew the material, but I wasn't sure that I knew how to best teach the material. Yeah. Understand your, your, your ambivalence or, or at least your uncertainty as to whether or not these deep dives are beneficial for them. And of course, I can't speak to that, but I can tell you I did that synthetic biology, the um, what a colorful world. And if I ask those kids any questions on transformation or on, you know, um, uh, plasmids, et cetera, boy, they know it. They know it inside and out. So I, I really do think it does them a, a great service to go, you know, to do those deep dives because that's really where the learning occurs and that's really where it kind of cements into their knowledge core and they really truly understand it. Um, and, you know, I was very much of just, let's do an inquiry lab. You know, let's, let's get this done. Let's collect our data. Let's analyze it. Let's move on. But I really, I think kind of slower is better in a lot of cases. Mm. All right. So you're just, you jumping into my next topic, which I, I alluded to before. Oh. And you did. No, it's great. It's great. Uh, you, uh, so you're talking about BioBuilder. So you, uh, What a Colorful World is one of the, the BioBuilder labs. So I remember having a conversation. And you're right. We drove in. You were my, uh, you were my carpool, uh, my totally inequitable carpool where um, <laughs> because you're from Florida and you drove to the hotel, you drove us to and from the hotel every day when we went to the workshop, which, which was, it was like a little great, you know, uh, like almost like 10 minute ramp up or decompression uh, kind of deal every day yeah. as we went back and forth uh, to the hotel. Uh, but you, I remember you telling me during that, that you were going to go and do uh, this, this thing. Have you ever heard of BioBuilder, BioBuilder workshop, which uh, is, as you know, and I've talked about before on the podcast, I've been involved with BioBuilder for, I think it's been seven or eight years. I think it's seven years. I think uh, Natalie and I were just talking um, recently and, and she, and I actually got to see her of uh, this, um, they're opening up the, the the learning lab, and we're having the grand open of the learning lab at the beginning of April, um, and so that was oh, wow. yeah. We're I'm going to bring in go with a couple students uh, to that, and and uh, and go in and see if some of our our BioBuilder alum uh, friends there. Um, but you were walking into this new experience with BioBuilder, and I know you did the club, and you've done done some of the labs. So I'm I'm curious, how was doing synthetic biology? How did that fit in with your your classes and your experience? And uh, I know that for me professionally, it definitely changed my thinking about both biology and engineering. But I also know how my students have reacted to it. So I'm curious what your what year one for you with synthetic synthetic biology in the classroom has been like. Yeah, well, for me, year one has been very kind of a, a controlled, limited exposure mm-hmm. in terms of that I did. Um, well, so, so initially what led me to, to the uh, BioBuilder uh, Summer Institute or summer training last year was that I had had a student who was really, this is a, a freshman in, in high school, a really great kid who was very much into herpetology. Mm-hmm. I mean, really into it. And so that was a great platform for me to discuss biology with him. And he had just these amazing ranging ideas. And I said, you know, well, I want to foster this. I want to support this however I can. And I'd always been interested in synthetic biology. And so those two things, because his project was most likely going to involve synthetic biology with what he wanted to do for his science fair project. And so I kind of took on that role of, yep, I will, you know, be happy to advise you. And then I realized I might I may not know what I need to to advise him correctly. Yeah. So that was kind of what led me to the um, the BioBuilder group, and certainly Dr. Kudel, um, you know, and I had had a chance to see the see her book um, beforehand about synthetic biology, and I just said this is where I need to be. This will get me up to speed, and you know, I'll meet some people who are interested in what I'm doing. And uh, gee, was that an understatement? 
I mean, it was just an amazing world that I didn't even really knew existed, and I, I couldn't be happier to be involved in synthetic biology, e even though it's an interest that I've, all, I've always myself had, or at least I've myself had for some years now. I didn't really have an opportunity to dive into it. And uh, this project really, you know, gave me that opportunity to dive into it. And I, and I think we have, and we've, got, we've really uh, gotten a lot out of it. The students, I started with a very small group of first two, then I built out to five. And that's pretty much where we're staying right now mm -hmm. um, because I just want a small core group who can really, who's, who wants to run with this and make this project their own. If it's, if it's me doing it, if it's me forcing them, it's not gonna work, for example. One of the things I found that worked exceedingly well was the um, What a Colorful World uh, kit that they have through, I think it's Carolina. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I then implemented that in AP Biology, and the kids were just blown away. But they absolutely loved it. I mean, I can't tell you. I don't know much about Instagram, but I can tell you that their, <laughs> their, uh, their feature dishes were all over Instagram that day when they got results, and they got such good results, too, which was one of the things that, you know, when the first time you do it, you're a little bit reticent. Because I had done the um, P-Glow one from BioRed, but I hadn't done this one. And so I did both of them side by side. We both, they had great results in both, and they really, like I said, it really, they really got it. They really kind of, uh, down to their marrow, they understood those concepts. And that's, you know, that's really what you hope to do as a teacher, especially in AP Biology, is make, is make that concept not just known, but really understood. And so you really do learn it. Yeah, the, the thing that sort of jumps out at me when, when I think about it is also, I always have a handful of students who are in my biology class, but they're not scientists, they're engineers. Um, and they, they approach the world through an engineering problem-solving lens and not a uh, asking questions necessarily, um, just trying to find an, an answer that leads to new questions kind of scientific approach. They approach it from, as an engineer of let's like find the solution. We don't really care how the box works as much as we want to just make sure the box works kind of deal. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that going through the, the BioBuilder and synthetic biology and learning sort of the engineer's perspective on problem solving and the engineering design cycle and how to use biological stuff in an engineering sense has changed my ability to I don't know necessarily think like an engineer because I don't think like an engineer. It's it's still work for me, <laughs> but I can empathize with students who naturally see the world through that light. Um, and I think I used to be frustrated by those students. Like early in my career, I'd be like, "Why aren't they approaching this the way I want them to in a scientific lens?" I think there are people who naturally approach things uh, from an engineering standpoint, and that is the way the world makes more sense to them. I think you're 100% right, and it's something that I didn't realize until right now. I, maybe that's why the students so glommed onto it, because I do have a bunch of students, you know, whose parents are computer engineers or, you know, some sort of in some sort of computer science, and so maybe that's why, you know, why they really kind of got the these concepts through this method, through the method of making the different colored, um, transforming the bacteria differently, and which chassis worked better, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly when I did an invent team, um, you know, like you said, there were three kids who got the engineering perspective, and there were three kids who just were kind of, uh, I'm happy to say it, but they were just stuck in that science mindset, and they didn't really get to the let's engineer a solution. They just wanted to find out how do I solve the next question, not let's, not let's, it, not let's, let's abandon the, you know, not, not the let's black box this and move on to what work. Uh, they really were focused on understanding, and so that's, it's an interesting 
uh, statement because, you know, I think you're right. I think that's definitely – I wasn't reaching certain students in the labs because they really had that engineering perspective, which I, which my training was not really commensurate with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and as I said, I it took me a couple of years. You, you're describing sort of a slow rollout. It took me a few years to really even understand – that difference. I heard the words, but I didn't. I didn't understand those words until I'd worked through a lot of the labs and tried a lot of those things um, the, with the group. Um, I'm curious: are your are your students still at it? We're through the final assembly now. Are they are they looking to maybe publish in in Biotrex, or uh, are you guys going to continue working on your project to roll something into next year? Uh, where are you guys leaving off, or where are your students fitting in on on the synthetic biology stuff? Yeah, we hit a major roadblock in terms of um, assistance from a university professor, which is really the only place that we could do what we're planning to do because we, our little BSL one lab is not <laughs> going to be sufficient for it. Um, but and uh, but this this past week, I've been working with a couple people to try to identify um, you know really good sources where we can go, and and I have two really good leads right now. And hopefully I can build on that uh, to the University of Miami as well. But for right now, um, you know, I would say that they, there is every intention to do Biotrex, which I want to say is the end of April or is mid-April. Yep. Um, and then to go on from there and to continue this process, either uh, the, especially the testing of it, to hopefully do that through the MIT Invent Teams uh, uh, system or ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but if not, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to do it one way or another, whether we get funded for it or whether we have to do it on our own, um, you know, because this is something which the students really want to do. And if they're really motivated to do it, then I'll do whatever I can to make it happen. And I'm more than happy to do that because, you know, that's really why we teach is to inspire students to kind of follow their own interests. And it's really cool to have a right now I have three students who you know, I give them a. They're like, oh well, we really need to. We really need to read this. Oh, okay, go go ahead and read it. And then they do the next. You know, that night. I mean, it's really amazing how self-directed they are. And um, you know, so to a certain degree, it's for me. It's going to be. It's going to be about building connections and making sure I have a good network of people to turn to. And as long as I can do that, we're we're definitely going forward. But with BioBuilder Club, 100%, we're doing it again next year. I don't exactly know what, what we'll be working on, although I have a pretty good idea. Um, and I want to get a lot of freshman students in, involved in it, a lot of um, high school biology uh, students involved so that they can continue doing it. And that won't be a, it won't be a process where I'm trying to recruit students every, every year because I think that it's going to work best if, if they're recruiting their friends um, because, you know, the, the kids who are interested in this stuff, are the you know they know the other students who are interested in this stuff and that's really what's worked best for our science bowl team and so I suspect it worked best for this for this uh, project but definitely next year um, in AP Biology they'll be doing the What a Colorful World Lab again and probably expanding it out um, into other things although right now you know I, I don't have uh, any definitive ideas <laughs> I mean a definitive plan but certainly um, you know yeah I, I think exactly as you said. It's really helping me to get to a, a, a group of students that I didn't understand, that I didn't understand why they weren't as mo- – you know, I mean, they're, they're so motivated in AP Physics C, but why aren't they motivated in my class? And it, you know, a lot of that was that engineering mindset and uh, the recognition that I have to cultivate experiences where they can not, not, only, not only experience that the engineering mindset, but also transition 
to understand why the scientific mindset is crucial as well in AP biology. But um, but no, I definitely, this is the first year of many, without a doubt. Cool. All right, we'll, we'll be on conference calls next year. Uh, maybe I'll drag some students yeah. <laughs> into my... <laughs> All right. So uh, this, uh, definitely. Yeah, this has been a like so one of the things we talked about a little bit um, before we got on here is, um, you know, I was down in Florida last summer. I made all these Florida connections. Obviously, the two of us met each other. Um, I, I knew Chi before I went down there. I got to know Merrick, who's down there, you know, all these Florida teachers. And I felt like this year it seems like teaching in South Florida has been especially tough. Um, and I know that obviously in the news, everyone has the Parkland shootings, um, you know, that are most recent in their minds. But I remember the fall, the fall with the hurricanes um, and how devastating that was. I I remember, you know, Merrick saying, yeah, I'm packing up my, my family and my truck and we're driving out of state um, to get out of the, you know, the way of the hurricane. So I know that it's been a really particularly hard year. And also you've been just in the news being down in Broward County all this time. Um, How are you doing? How, how are your students doing at this point in the year as a teacher in South Florida? Well, uh, thank you for the question. And for me, I would say that it really hasn't negatively affected me in the least. I have lived in Miami for quite some time. I survived Hurricane Andrew when the roof of our house flew off. Um, you know, hurricanes are just something that you plan for. Mm-hmm. And then you, then if they hit, you execute your plan for it. And it's really not, it's not particularly fun. Although there is, there, there is something fun to, you know, kind of being off the grid, et cetera. Um, but, uh, going through it, it's, it's never fun. Um, you know, the sounds and everything else that I've been through a bunch of them and you just, you just do it. You just deal with it. That's just the price of, you know, living down here in South Florida. Um, we didn't really get that affected by the hurricane. We got Mm -hmm. a solid week off, but it kind of went right up the coast and it never really hit us directly. Um, in fact, I don't think we even lost power for more than 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, both where I am in Miami and Weston. Weston has buried power lines, so I don't think they they ever even lost power. The areas east, right on the water, those areas got pounded, got hit hit pretty hard, um, especially beach erosion and some other things. And the and the power outages were were amazing. How long that took for it to come back on? But the hurricanes really weren't that really weren't that problematic. And on top of it. You know, I, I hate to say it, but we're kind of just used to it. Kind of, you know, what I mean, I guess it'd be like snowstorms for you guys. You, you just kind of, yep. you know, you you know, you know what to expect, and so you plan and you go from there. Yeah, we lost four days but, in March, <laughs> so. Yeah, wow. So yeah, wow. but but yeah. The, but school shootings are not something that you, you, is something that we've been dealing with. I mean, it has been something we've been dealing with since Columbine, but to be so close to home, and I, I mean, I don't know if. I've looked on the map to see how close your school is to Parkland. You are not far away from each other. No, and then on top, and and you're exactly right. That that has been the thing that has really, I mean, obviously it's changed everything, but that has been the big wild card that really altered things. Um, I, I will be honest with you. When I first came into teaching, I began with the idea that a school shooting was a possibility. Uh, we, I think actually my third year, we had done a, a, sh- a school shooter drill, and uh, it was extremely <laughs> realistic, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, I, I, had, um, I had set out to prepare myself, and I, I still feel adequately prepared had a, have, if a situation like that arose. My students, however, they were not. Um, those, the, the Stoneman Douglas students, 
and my students were are very very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they would show me. I mean, for example, I've seen videos of of some of the stuff that I, I don't think have been on TV yet because they're too 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 gruesome. Um, but you know, those students and the students at Cypress Bay, there there were a lot of families in common, a lot of friends in common, a lot of teammates in common, and for me, I really didn't. I didn't really. I wasn't really personally affected by it. But the day afterwards, when I don't know if you had heard, but there was a student who who put out. Well, a student had done a an audio, um, a, a voiceover, I guess, of some video game character that he had created. Some other student then, or sorry, someone else then modified that audio into what appeared to be a school, you know, a school shooting threat. Mm. And release that on Wednesday, Wednesday after school, right after, pretty much right after the, uh, the Stoneman Douglas. I don't know if it was just a coincidence or what, but I can tell you the next day, Thursday, when my students came in, my little, you know, my ninth graders and 10th graders, they were nervous. They were worried. They were, I mean, it was really serious. And I remember kind of thinking to myself, like, what are these, you know, it's not going to happen here. And then it hit me that something like that, you know, that those exact people, the kids, the Instagram, the clothes they wear, the places they go, that had happened to people, so to students so close to them, mm-hmm. so similar to them, that it, it hit me. It really hit me, you know, and they were just like, well, why isn't the door locked? Why isn't it? I'm like, okay, okay, guys, relax. You know, we'll, we'll go through the process. And then they, then I actually had to stop class in uh, three of the four classes, really all you know, three of them, and three of them, I had to stop class and say, this is what would happen if, something like that happened here. And I had to, you know, I had to be very clear. It's not going to happen again. It's, it's not going to, yeah, but it could happen. I get, you know, I understand guys, it could happen, but it's not going to, let me tell you why. And uh, there was a lot of irrational fear, but understandable fear on their part, because it wasn't like a group of kids in, in Colorado. It wasn't somewhere else. It was kids like them mm-hmm. who had Instagrams, had, had fences, had everything like they did. And um, it, it really hit them. It really hit them hard. And I can tell you that it took really, you know, ha- had I understood the effect it was going to have on them, they shouldn't have been in school Thursday or Friday. That we probably should have taken those two days off. Yeah. It was the wounds were, were a little too raw. Now, now, of course, if I was an administrator, I wouldn't have thought about that because I don't think the administrators really understood the, you know, what the kids, how close our kids were to those students, how similar they were. Um, so I'm not blaming anybody. I think it's just one of those things, uh, you know, looking back on it, had we taken those two days off and had the kids not been in school, I think the process would have gone faster. But it, it was just, you know, I, I really did not expect them to be as affected by it as they were. Um, and, and it's been a horrible thing. I mean, people's cousins, you know, people who, uh, teammates, you know, that they'll never see again. And this is really the first time they've dealt with death. And especially in such a personal way, which I never had to deal with that when I was a kid. I never even had to deal with that, you know, until I was out of college. So, um, you know, it certainly I I feel for them. And that's really been the hard thing. I can say that third quarter was disrupted, Um, you know, not just one week, but third quarter was disrupted by this. Um, But I really think that, that, that everybody's, you know, on the road to recovery. And I think the political activism that's being that's being shown by some of those kids at Parkland is something that is definitely motivating our students to similarly take action when they see something wrong and for them to, you know, not just discuss one side of the issue, but 
we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have liber- you know, uh, um, you know, very liberal people, we have very conservative people at our school, and I think that it really does promote a healthy discussion. And uh, more importantly, the kids want solutions; they don't want talk, and that's very heartening. I, I really enjoy that because when we're talking about solutions, that means it's, that, that they care about it. And I think if they care, when they care about something, they're going to put their minds to it, and uh, the world's going to become a better place. And and so. In the end, um, you know, I certainly appreciate the challenges they've gone through, but I think they're going to make it into something really positive. Yeah, I think the proximity, the way you describe proximity makes me, like, realize what I've seen in terms of the school shootings. Um, and it's crazy that we have these conversations and these these touchstones because um, I didn't see the immediate aftermath within, you know, within my school. It just, it was not something that popped up um, it, during this school sh- shooting. But Newtown being in Connecticut, um, being relatively close to where, you know, we are, um, that was, I remember the students being, you know, as they would, in their term, they were shook. You know, they they were not, there was a lot of discussions about that and the proximity to that shooting um, really had a deep impact on the students. Um, I was surprised by how the political activism has transcended just the local action um, down in South Florida where my students had walkouts. My students were doing the March for Their Lives. Like the 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 activism of the students in Massachusetts, um, ones who went down to D.C., went to Boston, went to Worcester, went to all over the place. Um, I have been impressed by just this entire generation of students and how they've been active. So even not just the ones out in South Florida, but my students are showing activism um, in the wake of the shooting. Yeah. And I mean, it, 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 I don't know if anything good can come from what happened, but if it is, if, if this motivates students to really become politically active and you know, shun the, uh, the, 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 uh, I, I guess the, not the, uh, you know, the fact that, that I'm somewhat apathetic about change happening, but maybe they are, that, that's a, that's an awfully good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, by all means, I hope that they can make this horrible, you know, truly horrible event into something positive. That, that would be my hope in every sense of the word. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, on that Thursday, the day afterwards, um, we had about half the kids leave uh, by the by third period. Um, it, it wasn't just that they were a little bit upset. Yeah. I mean, they 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 really couldn't stay there, and that was something that I did not get. Like I I just I didn't viscerally understand that. And then after that day, and I remember never forget walking out during fourth period, walking uh, for, from my room down to the front office, and and saying to myself, where, where is everybody? And then I asked some students, you know, who I knew, and they said, oh, yeah, everybody went home, that they're scared about this and they're scared about that. And, and it hit me. It really – and I really kind of went, wow. I mean, you know, now I get it. And, um, you know, and it, 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 it was just a, a horrible, horrible event, which I personally was not affected by, but certainly, um, you know, it, it, an amazing event that really did um, disrupt um, Broward County and certainly Cypress Bay for – at least a couple of weeks. I, I would say by now we're pretty much 100%. But, um, you know, there were times we couldn't give tests. We, there were certain things we couldn't do. Um, we did a walkout whenever, I forget when it was, a, couple, a few days afterwards, and our principal led the walkout. Oh. So definitely the administration was on our side. Definitely everybody was of the like mind. But it, it still, 
it, it was it was difficult, and we heard parent concerns, and you know, <laughs> I certainly understand them, but it, it just it didn't hit me. I, I didn't I didn't get it until the day afterward, yeah. and then it was like, yeah, everything's changed. Yeah, and when you click on the when you go to the link from your school, you immediately get a a notice that pops up on your school website that talks about the fact that you know the there have been a lot of questions about school safety and school concern and yes we're listening and it's like a it's a a bubble that pops up even before you can access this the website to your school so it clearly is something that um has has altered trajectory um to say the least yeah yeah and you know we have really good parents i mean i always say that parents night without without you guys you know i get them an hour and a half every other day you're with them the entire time, and we have just outstanding parents who do outstanding parenting, um, and they're scared, mm-hmm. and they're definitely and they're scared for good reason, um, because again, kids who looked like their kids were gunned down. Kids who looked like their kids are not are not here anymore. They've gone to some of those funerals, and it is you know we've we've had more faculty meetings than we've ever had. Um, you know, and our you know our principal, Mr. Neely, he's very clear. He says, you know. I wouldn't be calling you in here if it wasn't necessary. These are the changes that are going to occur. Mm-hmm. And Cypress Bay has kind of always been a little atypical. We don't really follow the typical credo, the typical uh, way of doing things. But at this point in time, we, we're, we, we have to, and we will. Um, you know, and, and it has been a very open campus, and that will not be that way any longer. Um, it's unfortunate, but necessary at this point in time. And I don't think necessary pragmatically. I think necessary to make everybody really feel comfortable because I think with the, the open campus that we have, I think there are a lot of people who were very uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, so much so that we've, we now have five police officers with long guns. You know, when you walk in the front of the building, you, you can't miss them. <laughs> I mean, and they're, they're not there because of, you know, they're there for a very good reason. And uh, I hope that, you know, we'll get back to a point where we can feel safe, but it's going to take time. Yeah. Well, I would say uh, we went through a shift where we went from um, what you know was a very open campus several years ago, and um, and they've tightened up security dramatically in our school, as at, in response to as I said, in in really in response to Newtown, um, a lot of our security components changed um, in the year or two. And one thing I can say is um, philosophically, I. I generally like the idea of open campus. I generally like the idea of students earning responsibility and getting the opportunities to come and go and that sort of thing. And I was very pleased with how our school um, made the campus not as open and made it more secure without having the students feel like they were being punished or penalized. Or um, I think the spirit of students earning the ability to have a degree of open campus uh, was maintained in the changes, and they did so in a very thoughtful way. So hopefully it sounds like you have a very responsive administration, and, and hopefully the, the students' both safety and ability to earn responsibility are, are put in balance as they as they move forward. Yeah, I, I, I really do think that they will be. Um, it's, you know, just a lot of, lot of, uh, of, of pressure from outside forces to, you know, really lock down campus. And you know, it, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. I, I certainly, you know, if, if they decide that they're going to do things very, you know, <laughs> locked down, then I'm going to be on board. If they decide to make it a little more open, then uh, I'm, I'm definitely on board for that. But I have, a, I have a weird feeling that our principal will be able to finagle a lot of freedom into whatever plan is, uh, is eventually selected. 
Yeah. Yeah. He, he's pretty good at that. <laughs> you, well, and because uh, ultimately you don't want, um, you want people to be responsible. You don't want people to be scared away from um, the the cultural positivities that you have in your school. Um, and sometimes in fear, you can give you could give up some freedoms um, that are ingrained into the culture of what you are as a building. And again, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, what I like about what I see in my students and how they earn responsibility and that sort of thing. Um, I was a little leery when I heard that there were changes coming, and I was like, oh. You know, how are they going to is this going to become like a lockdown kind of school where um, I just it felt that the wording, the first wording that I heard was very opposed to the way I felt the spirit of the school went. But they did a, such a such a nice job um, making those changes and really hard changes. So I hope as you guys get back to normalcy, um, your, your students get experience something similar. Yeah, I, I really do think they will. But that's it's excellent to hear that, you know, kind of my fears of would the culture really change, um, probably are unfounded because, you know, the administration doesn't want to change mm-hmm. what we have going, what's, what's working well, what's working so well for us. I don't see them, I see them resisting any sort of kind of locking down the campus. At least I, I suspect they will. But anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, no. It's, all right. Let's move on to something that's like not, I mean, everything is more positive than, than this. So um, <laughs> I'm happy to, <laughs> happy to shift gears, turn the page and go to something positive. So uh, in your classroom, in the years to come, what are you looking forward to um, in the next few years? You're not, you're not retiring anytime soon. You got, you got a handful of years ahead of you. What are you looking forward to in your classroom in the years to come? Well, I think that my first thing is that I really want to, I, I see what we have in this core group of students who are interested in synthetic biology as the beginning. And so I hope that I can get them, I can facilitate for them the ability to, to grow out what they're wanting to do, not just accomplish the current idea, but to actually go past and beyond that. So to that end, I'd like to start um, in terms of invent teams. I think that's a natural fit for us because we want to start looking at building a, a detector for um, uh, various uh, venoms or poisons. Mm-hmm. And then from there, building out from that, going not just to native snake populations, but to other uh, organisms as well, especially invasive organisms, and kind of just using that as a jumping board to building out and having a lot of involvement with students doing synthetic or kind of like engineering and biology. That intersection to me is so fascinating and one that I really have not had the tools nor the time to explore, but that I really want to. And so that, for me, is where I'm looking to take um, my outside-of-school experiences in the next few years um, and hopefully really build out a community of, of students who don't just go to class, but they go to class and they apply that knowledge outside of class, and then they use that for science fair projects, for you know anything else. And we've now gotten students who... Uh, in that in that same small group who want to engineer seeds and want to engineer seeds for uh, plant seeds and want to do all these other things and you know it's really just a matter of trying to foster that that interest because once we get that interest then the students are really having you know amazing experiences in high school and they're not just going to classes going to clubs and going home but they really are getting something out of their study and that's really what I want to um, to to grow and really foster that ability for them to develop it. In AP Biology, pretty clearly my my interest is to integrate a lot more, I guess what would be called phenomenon-based learning. 
and something that a, a, a project that goes over units and across the strands, essential knowledge points, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I've got a bunch of them in mind. Um, the first one I'm going to start off with is antibiotic resistance and then um, go from there. But um, hopefully really kind of revamp the entire course and revamp the really the entire AP biology experience. And that's what I hope to do in the next few years uh, professionally and outside of, um, and, and uh, you know, in terms of um, my clubs, both whether it's a uh, society of Hispanic professional engineers or biobuilder club. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, admirable approaches that I'm looking forward to. I think it's, it's funny how many times I hear people say the exact same things that I'm thinking about uh, when I ask them those questions. It's like, yep, I'm totally check, check. Maybe not with snake venom, but uh, definitely want to keep those synthetic biology club going. And I also, that re-envisioning the, the AP curriculum is, um, is on the forefront for me. That's front burner, uh, definitely. So, all yep. right. All right. So, uh, when you're not teaching, I mean, you are always running clubs and doing other sorts of things. When you're not teaching, what do you like to do? What What fills your time? Well, I can't say there's any one thing that really does. Um, you know, certainly I do like to play tennis. I used to play when I was in high school and even in college um, competitively. But now it's more I can, because of my weight, I play primarily just doubles, mm-hmm. um, although I'm, I, I do quite enjoy it. But I'm really kind of more getting into uh, the online courses, things like edX, um, you know, and just learning about various data structures and computer science, because I really see bioinformatics as kind of um, one of the big areas that if it not, hasn't already exploded, will it will explode. And uh, I have a couple of former students who are in bioinformatics, and they, they say the same thing. They trumpet its virtue. So I'm looking to integrate, looking to learn a good portion of that and how to integrate computer science into, into our studies and into what we're doing. Um, and then also, uh, you know, make that into a critical component of at least one unit. So I can really kind of expose students to what bioinformatics is instead of just what's that fancy word. So I would say that, that even though that's professional, I still, that's something that I, I enjoy doing is taking um, some online courses and um, really, in the last few uh, last few weeks, I've really gotten into just kind of looking at the Everglades and, and visiting it because it's been there for so long. And uh, unlike the reefs off of the coast, which I used to enjoy diving, there there's so so much changed. Um, there's so much uh, so much less of them in, in every sense of the word that it's hard to kind of really enjoy scuba diving. Uh, but really going out to the Everglades, which is pretty close, and going to different parks, uh, Shark Valley and Hinga, Flamingo, et cetera, um, that's really been an interesting experience for me to really see that ecology up close and personal, and I really haven't seen it for a while, um, and also to see the changes that are going on, which is uh, really interesting um, from a biological perspective as well as just merely from the perspective of that of the camera. Yeah, and and similarly, while that can have huge connections back into the classroom even when you're not not doing it. it can be something you could enjoy but i i definitely could envision as you're building these like larger questions larger projects um this might be one of those phenomena that you know there might be a phenomena or two that you end up seeing in that personal time that lead back into your classroom so um i think you're right i never thought about it till right now because it's just an interest i just kind of wanted to go out and see them things like the alligators and everything else that I hadn't seen for a while. But um, I think you're right. I, I definitely think you're right. Something for me to think about over summer and make sure I implement next year. I think that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I interviewed a teacher from Indiana who um, who actually brings his students down to the Everglades every year um, as part of his AP Enviro class. Um, he's got this annual trip that he does in February or March. So um, it's in your backyard. Uh, it wouldn't be as big a field trip for you. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. But on the other hand, um, yeah, that'd be great. Maybe if when we get done, I can get that person's uh, in- contact info, and I'd love to kind of coordinate with them if possible. Um, yeah. You know, when they when they come down next year. Yeah, I can. I'll definitely send that off to you because um, I I do I do definitely think that it's um, one of the things I think about. I, I you know we talk about students being you know, um, you know plant blind or you know uh, ecology blind for the stuff that's around them, um, and I do a little yep. bit of stuff with that around my students. And every year we do this project in the beginning of the year where we send kids out to. Um, local ecosystems around us. And, you know, obviously we're not the Everglades, but to them, it's like, yeah, there's trees everywhere. What do you mean ecosystems? I'm like, yeah, there are ecosystems there. We've got nature trails all over uh, Acton and Boxborough where where I work. And um, yeah, the students do not, the students do not see that as a thing. They, uh, they do not understand that, that yes, nature is all around them. And this is uh, active biology right in your backyard. Yeah, that's it, it's that's really interesting you mentioned that because you're exactly right, and I think it's something that I myself kind of really lost track of. I mean, there is this amazing learning environment not that far away from me, and why am I not taking advantage of it, especially weaving it into the curriculum as there are so many opportunities to do so. That, that's a great point. Thank you. All right. Well, good. I'm glad you get something out of this. Well. <laughs> All right. So before we get to picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I was just randomly curious. Um, I I think uh, I had spoken with you, or I had seen something earlier that you're going to do the the BioBuilder workshop this year with um, uh, with Dr. Kudel at I believe it's at MIT, right? Yeah. Well, they're actually going to, as I mentioned earlier, the, they're opening up a new learning lab at Lab Central, which is just up the street from MIT. It's like about it's about two or three blocks away from Natalie's lab, and uh, and so she, yeah, she's got a brand new learning space. I I brought some kids in over February break. I, it was before the official opening, but um, I know some people, so <laughs> she had opened it up to <laughs> she had opened it up and said, hey, was anyone like to come in? I think partly to you know have us try out the space and and see what's there and see what works. Uh, but yeah, so this summer I will be co-teaching with Dr. Kaldell the course I think you took last summer, uh, which is just an introduction to BioBuilder introduction to synthetic biology. There are four core labs, basic labs, and then a few extensions that go off of those. I have gone through this as a participant. I was one of her her first guinea pigs when she first put this module together back in, in 2011. So I was like one of the first participants. And I had been back to her MIT lab several times. And I've, I've tried out a few other side projects for her here and there. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the person who, who taught your class, um, uh, Rebecca uh, Ravgala, who's, who's fantastic, she's going to go off and do one of the other workshops outside of the area down in Mexico, which gives me the opportunity to do the local uh, one-week workshop. I think we're the last week of July, first week of August. There's a bridge week there. And um, yeah, well, uh, and I think it's open to 15 participants or something like that, about that size. And yeah, it'll be fun. I've I've never been fully on that side of it. I've helped out with workshops. I've presented a lot of stuff for for Natalie over the years, but um, just the two of us teaching is going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm sure I'm going to learn a whole lot during that week as, uh, as people ask questions. And I've got a, a troubleshoot for new teachers who are just learning about synthetic biology. Well, yeah, that, that, that was, um, I think as we've talked about, that was a huge deal for me 
is to not just you know go through everything, but also to get all that hands-on lab experience with the material. And if ever I had any questions, you know, we had these experts, Dr. Kudel, Rebecca, who could answer any and every question. I mean, it was it was really a great experience, and I'd recommend it to anyone and everyone who's interested in synthetic biology as really just the way to get you know, get get your feet wet, if you will. Um, and you can certainly do a lot more with it than just that. Yeah, yeah, and as I said, I've I've done I've done a lot of the different stuff with it, so I'm excited to get a new lens on on the curriculum. And there's some things that I've struggled with, like the stuff that's I think pretty easy for me to integrate and is tied into my curriculum. And there's some other things I have a little sort of a mental block of figuring out how I could introduce them to my students and how could I wedge them in. And and um, I've already got some new ideas as we've started to talk about, you know, putting together the course for the summer and, and doing that. Uh, and we're gonna have some deeper conversations about that in the weeks to come. But even those initial conversations about how to present this to teachers has given me some some ideas of how I can uh, integrate some of these labs and some of these concepts into my own into my own curriculum. So, yeah. all right. Wow, that that sounds great. All right, so we've got to picks the episode. I don't know if you're going to pick. Are you going to do? Are you going to be a two pick person, or are you going to do a, a one pick? Oh, well, it's up to you. Well, I, I was looking at. I, I think I, I think mine is definitely since I'm going to use it um, when we get right back is the. Global antibiotic overuse. Uh, I think they said 65% increase in antibiotics, um, antibiotic usage mm-hmm. in in one year alone. I mean, it, it's scary. We're we're not going toward antibiotic resistance with hesitation and, and reasoning. We're we're just barreling down the highway, um, and it's unfortunate. But that's something that we always talk about in AP bio, even in high school biology. It's part of our curriculum to discuss, you know, number one, what is antibiotic resistance and why it's, you know, why it's coming, whether we like it or not inexorably, and then number three, what we can do about it. And so to me, just the idea that the progress is accelerating in the face of all this evidence to slow down what we're doing is really interesting. And I think to me, uh, for me, it really hits some, some kind of science and society stuff is how science is not necessarily Scientific knowledge is not necessarily translated to action, and that's something which to me was really interesting across a number of um, uh, topics. Yeah, so this this article that you, you posted in reminded me a lot of – have you seen the, the Next Generation uh, Storylines um, uh, curriculum? Have, I don't know if you've ever come across those. I have not. Okay. No, I don't. I, I don't know what that is. Are you talking about? In like, it's like, is it like an NGSS book or something? Or? Well, yeah, it's not a book. It's a, a website. So I'll drop the link right in here. Oh. Um, in here, and it's it's called Next Generations. Uh, uh, Next Generation Storylines, and they have a specific one that is called Why Don't Antibiotics Work Like They Used To, and it is mm-hmm. a a very much a similar to what we learned last summer. It's a storylined out arc of curriculum, um, not for AP, more for a, a intro bio course, although I think you probably could ramp it up to AP pretty easily. Um, and it, it really, it starts with a, a video called um, Hunting Nightmare Bacteria, which is a, uh, a front line. And it then walks through a lot of the information and the background and the details about antibiotic resistance and some of the causes for the rise in antibiotic resistance and uh, really presents it as a problem for students and how do you how do you approach the scientific problem and what are some of the facts and the biology behind it? It's got a lot of great evolution tie-ins. Um, the curriculum then shifts into um, modeling how you know speciation occurs and in macro scale things. They use uh, birds as their model um, and 
uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting storyline. So particularly for your, um, you may want to check that out because I think it'll give you some inspiration. And I've used the, that video, Hunting Nightmare Bacteria, with several different of my classes. Um, and I use large portions of this storyline with with one of my intro students, uh, st- student groups this year. Um, and it's very much on the same lines. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of that stuff I was kind of already integrating, but it'd be great to see everything kind of float out, you know, kind of laid out correctly as it, as it or at least what, you know, what, what people have found to be, um, you know, very uh, amenable for them to work and, and very, you know, worthwhile in terms of instructional um, mapping, if you will. Uh, you know, we, I even had the students do the, the Iliad project. You know, that's where they basically sample things to see if they can find new antibiotics. And, uh, of course, we our, our samples failed, but needless to say, it was kind of in, one sample was somewhat successful. But it's kind of interesting um, for me, the antibiotic resistance, because exactly what, you, what you're talking about, that NGA um, next generation standard thing, next generation uh, website, is how well that can be integrated throughout the curriculum and how students can keep coming back to that story. And that's something that I definitely need to, need to do a lot better on. So that, that's great to know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think this will tie in. I think you'll like this one. I think it'll tie into a lot of your stuff um, that you're going you're going through. All right. So for me, um, when this comes out, it's going to be the middle of April. It'll probably be about oh, I don't know, four or five weeks to the AP um, after this comes out. Uh, and so what I want to do is I've put a link into the AP biology review videos that uh, were put together and organized last year by. David Knufke and Bob Kuhn and many others last year, uh, they had done some live streaming videos. And those live streaming videos are a series of videos on each of the four big ideas in AP Biology, uh, as well as videos about um, some uh, qualitative reasoning. Um, I know that Lee Ferguson did a video on the labs that are in the AP. Um, then uh, Ryan Reardon did uh, complex topics. Uh Bob Kuhn and David Knefke did a um, think aloud for one of the released exams. And then Helen Snodgrass did like a last minute tips and tricks type video. I put the link from last year that David had put together. He made a document uh, that was a, a document that organized links to all of the videos so that students could click on them and watch them in live stream last year when they would be up. And then you could also now watch them. So it's like 10 hours of video review. Uh, the students generated questions. Uh, we had posted this out on the uh, the Facebook page that is the Shared AP Biology Facebook page. And so students submitted all the questions they had as they were getting ready for the AP. Then uh, I assume it was David and Bob organized those questions into different categories. And then the different teachers who did the different videos stood up there and and did a live streaming video where they made a a slideshow to help answer all of those questions. Um, So I think it's a really nice resource. I just rolled it out for my students. So this is going to come out a few weeks um, after I've done it. But I I just rolled it out with my students as something that you probably wouldn't want to watch them all the weekend before the AP, but you might want to watch, you know, one or two of them. Um, I think that if nothing else, the Think Aloud video is one worth worth sharing with your students, um, maybe giving them the perspective of what it's like to go through the multiple choice section of the AP and how do teachers approach these questions? How do they think and reason and eliminate possible questions? I think it, it gives a lot of test taking strategies um, as well as sort of a little confidence builder um, that might help students as they get ready. 
Yeah, this this is great for me. I just had a, a teacher down in my county who was asking me, well, you know, I want like a comprehensive video review of everything. You know, what can I, where can I find that? And, you know, didn't have an answer for her. But this is definitely <laughs> a, a, a great way to do that as close as I guess one can one can get. Um, and it's interesting you said don't try to watch all of them the weekend before because that's exactly what my students would do. <laughs> they would say eight hours? Okay, I'll block out eight hours and I'll be good for the test. But no, I, I, I think that's definitely a good idea to do a couple on the weekend. And these are, you know, these are great videos. And I, I didn't know that they were archived anywhere. This is excellent to know. Yeah, this is uh, certainly something that I will roll out as well. So David is, as, as he has come out, David is uh, planning to move to Singapore. And so yeah. <laughs> he, he does not have the bandwidth to put this together. And then uh, through some conversation, it sounded like Ryan Reardon was going to take over the mantle and organize something like this. And he's awfully busy with his, his grading all of the IB stuff that he has to give feedback to students. And then they had some, the, the two of them were having a conversation that basically was like, wait a minute, we already did this last year. Why do we need to reinvent the wheel? And I had sort of when I had talked to both of them and I'd heard both of their initial thoughts, I didn't realize they had gotten that point. I was like, well, maybe I'll organize something. And by the time I volunteered to organize it, they were like, yeah, I think we think we're good. We think it's done. And I, as I looked through the stuff, I was like, yeah, I don't know that there's anything we could do better than what they did. Like, would we re-release yep. the same, like we could post out the forum and have students ask new questions, but the questions, the curriculum hasn't changed. So the questions that the students had last year are likely going to be the questions that students have this year. Um, and I think that they were right, that the resources that were put together by a fantastic group of teachers um, who put these things together, I, I, I was happy to share them with my students. So hopefully other people can, can take them and enjoy them as well. Yeah, and this is um, – sorry if I can interrupt. I apologize. Okay. Um, this this listing, or I think it's a review sheet I'm looking uh, – an online review schedule I'm looking at. Yep. Is that something I could share out with my teachers in Broward County? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is totally okay. free and available. And um, I, I think what I did for my students is I – and I'll, I'll put a link into the show notes that comes out next month. I um, – I went in and so some of the videos, you know, you know what it's like to do a live stream. I don't know if you've ever done a live stream, but you know, sometimes you got a technical glitch or you got a little this or, you know, I do this, <laughs> this podcast. And oftentimes, as happened today, when we first try to set the audio up, we have a little glitch. And, you know, uh, so there's a couple of them that it takes a few minutes for the audio to get started up. So I I went in and I figured out where the like where it started. And I changed from that format to a format that made it a little more user-friendly for my students. Um, just that sort of matches the format of how I usually share out links to them. Um, and so mm-hmm. I will post a copy of my my document that I posted for my students. I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes that'll come out um, when, I, when I post out the episode. Great. Yeah, because mid, mid, mid-April, that's when everybody's uh, getting... Nice and nervous about the AP exam because it, it's coming a lot faster than we thought it was. Yeah. I mean, than we were hoping it was. You know, you always <laughs> want more time. But, yeah, no, these, these videos, it, it's like I said, I'm really – I'm very pleased because I was just going to try to find them this weekend, yep. you know, trying to you know, make a note of where they were. And now all in one little place. That's great. Thank you. No problem. You helped me out by, uh, you know, volunteering to be on this and uh, being willing to be uh, interviewed. And uh, I'm glad I could help back at least with one or two things as well. So. All right. Well, well, Brandon, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate it. And um, and I hope you. it sounds like you got a couple of good things out of it. And I definitely got a lot of good thoughts out of this as well. Yeah, you know, I got a ton. It, 
and whenever I speak with you, Aaron, I get a ton of things. So <laughs> it definitely, um, you know, this is par for the course, but I appreciate it. Anytime I can ever help with anything, by all means, do not hesitate to contact me. All right. I certainly will. It's a dangerous thing to volunteer. Um. <laughs> All right. So, Looking forward to it. <laughs> all right. So let me give you my show credits. Um, if you are interested in supporting uh, the work I do here on Life of the School, uh, there is a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash lots. And uh, Patreons are invited into a Slack community where uh, myself and David Kanufke and John Darko uh, will share our resources. Uh, usually get a little peek uh, a sneak preview of the work of the three of us um, in there uh, when we post up our materials and then some other side discussions go on inside that uh, Patreon lots uh, supported discussions. Uh, music for this and every episode is provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. You can get show notes at my Patreon page and also at lifeofthe-school.org. Um, you can also get to old shows on lifeofthe-school.org as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Uh, I don't know if Brandon, do you ever post on Twitter? Um, I really don't. I'm not, I'm not, not, not into it, but, um, I definitely see the benefit of it. So it's something that I want to look into over summer, start, uh, start getting some regular contributions. I know I, fi- I follow yourself, Chai and a bunch of other people. And, um, uh, it definitely is a great thing because it generates ideas and, it, and, and more importantly, I see what people are doing in their labs and that inspires me, you know, to do the same. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to promote social media these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with all of the, with all all the, all of the the data manipulation and sharing that comes out in the news, it's like you know it's 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 a little tough to promote social media at this point. But I do put my stuff out on Twitter. Um, I tend to not do a whole lot of Facebook stuff, but uh, but uh, Twitter's not necessarily Twitter. Twitter at the moment is not being sought as quite as evil as Facebook, but they they both have their issues. So. <laughs> Yeah, but but you're not associated associated with Cambridge Analytica, right? I, I'm, I am not. I'm not at this point. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would take their money if they gave me Patreon money, probably. But, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and I will uh, I will talk to everybody soon. <laughs>